Awesome, God, we thank you for this beautiful morning. And we thank you for fresh new mercies for us this morning. You got that for us every day. Holy Spirit, you breathed and wrote and revealed this word to the Apostle John in Revelation. Thanks so much for uh, prompting, commanding him to write this down for us. Holy Spirit, we need wisdom and understanding. We ask your help today. We don't want to just learn stuff about you, Jesus. We want to learn to know you and fellowship with you personally. chapter 14, and last Sunday we were in uh, the very first part where it mentions the 144,000 who previously in chapter 7 had been sealed, so I need to have some water. So the 144,000 are sealed right after the rapture, uh, because their seal is really clear in chapter 7. God's sealing them because he's going to protect them from God's wrath that's about to be poured out on the planet. So the uh, six trumpets there, each one releases a different uh, judgment from God upon um, all those who hate the Lord and are left behind after the rapture. So 144,000 are sealed right here. And then at the end of the seven years, they've been protected in the wilderness outside uh, Jerusalem by God. And then at the end of the seven years, they come in following Jesus. Jesus comes down on the planet. I say boots on the ground, sandals on the ground. Actually walks into Jerusalem at the end because uh, that's when the Bible says he takes over the rule and reign of the earth. So the 140,000 come with him. So let's start with verse 1, get back into the flow of this. We were just in uh, verse 4 of the book last Sunday. John says, then I looked. There before me was the Lamb, Jesus, standing on Mount Zion, which is Jerusalem. With him, 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. We talked about going back to chapter 7. When they were first sealed, it says they were sealed on their foreheads uh, for protection. So we're, there's a difference here. Now they have the father's name and Jesus' name on their so it's, it sounds and feels to me like salvation for them has happened sometime in the interim. They are definitely saved and sealed um, children of, the, of God at this point. Verse 2, I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters, like a loud peal of thunder. The sound they heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. In the Greek, you can tell that they were singing along with the harp. As they played the harp, they were singing as well. These this is an angel harp choir, apparently. They sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. So now we know for sure they're saved. They've been redeemed, past tense. Um, they get to sing this special song. Why, why, why them? Why nobody else? Well, this is fruit of salvation of Israelites. There has been precious little of until this moment. This is a glorious moment for, for Israel and for God. So they get to sing this song, verse 4. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they kept themselves pure. So we talked some about, wow, is that is that literal? I mean, 
taken scripture literally unless we see clearly uh, take it symbolically. Is this literal? Okay. These are those 144,000 did not defile themselves with women, for they kept themselves pure. Uh, when you dig into the Greek there, and I'm not a Greek monster, so I rely on experts to do that for me. When you dig into the Greek there, it sets up a couple of challenges to this being literal. If this is literal, we end up with only uh, single men who have never had sexual relations, or uh, married men who've never had relations outside of the marriage bond. But when you boil it down, it really gets so, there's one problem, out of 144,000 only men, <coughs> I think that's unlikely. Um, are they only single men? Which if we could boil down the Greek, you kind of get down to that spot. That's unlikely. So let's throw this in this. I, I think I lean pretty hard towards this being talking about spiritual idolatry. They, they never believed in another God. They always committed themselves to Yahweh and then to Jesus as Messiah. Okay? And so part of the purity means they didn't take the mark. It's in the, mid, at the midpoint, it's 666. The you know, Antichrist says, take my mark or worship me and die. They didn't do that. They kept their faithfulness to God. I think that's what it means. But let's, there's a passage back in 2 Corinthians that really kind of speaks to this, I think, in a helpful way. So 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Really interesting. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Pick it up at verse 2. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. Here Paul writes, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ. What does he mean by that? Does he mean that literally that they're, you know, they're going to have a wedding ceremony and they walk up and they, well, of course not. That's a, the Bible uses this all through the whole Bible, that when we all get up there to heaven, who's the bridegroom? The perfect, heavenly, eternal bridegroom, Jesus is. Who's the, who's the bride? Every believer is the bride. This says, I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. Wow, does that sound like Revelation 14? I think it does a lot. Verse 3. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's coming, your minds may somehow be led astray from our sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So there's, there's we talk about virginity, we talk about purity, but it's all obviously a spiritual thing that we're talking about. It's a, it's a pure devotion to Christ as Savior and God. So um, I'm, I'm not trying to say, thus saith the Lord kind of thing. But when we look back at Revelation 14, 4, if we, if we follow that literally, we end up bumping into some big question marks that don't seem to work very well. So as I look at it, I'm, I'm thinking, 
pretty much that the 144,000 are Israelites who have not believed in other gods. They believed in Yahweh. They didn't take the mark of the beast for 666. They kept themselves pure. And now they are head over heels in love with and following the Lamb wherever he goes. I think that makes sense all the way through. Uh, literally, doesn't make much sense when you follow the reasoning here. Any comments or questions on that? across in the verse like these folks have never have never worshipped or followed other gods it comes across that way is it possible that you know by the grace of God that some of the 144,000 maybe believed in another god or, or didn't believe in Yahweh and then uh, God chose them and sealed them I guess that's possible the tenor here the feeling is more so like all along Second Corinthians is, is the vocabulary is similar and same kind of concept that we talked about. Other things there? talks about one who has the restrainer has been withdrawn. So the big debate is who's the restrainer. I have a, I have a big, big problem with the Holy Spirit being withdrawn from working in here anytime, anywhere. And when, when I dig deep into that Thessalonians passage, I end up back in Daniel, where Daniel talks about Michael, the archangel, being the restrainer on behalf of God's people. Chapter 7 is really a slam dunk on that. Coming from a, a different angle than most American. 
features coming from a 2000 traditional approach, a, a literal approach. Most American features and features aren't doing that. Thank you. Just that last Right, so I appreciate that, what Janet's lifting up, what Jesus promised in Matthew 28. For sure, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. And I don't see, I don't see anywhere else in the Bible any hint anywhere of the Holy Spirit being moved or pulled back or told to take more. There's a lot of different ways we translate the, the word Second Thessalonians. It can be stop activity, it can be you know, be removed from activity, there's a lot of different ways to uh, translate it but I don't see anything else in the Bible hinting at the Spirit being shut down in that way it's hard for me to accept that well if the Holy Spirit was removed Spirit from the church that would mean God's presence Understanding, and if the Holy Spirit is is removed, then repentance can't happen, faith can't happen, because those are all things the Holy Spirit accomplishes in our hearts and lives. So you pull the Holy Spirit out of here, and I know from the gentleman that supposedly was This is a really good question, says Judy, because it it, uh, it ends up with a bunch of threads coming together. So this is like a two-hour conversation to really cover all these bases well. So um, yeah, excellent, spot-on question. Any, anything else through the middle of fourteen, where uh, verse four, where we're at, security and so forth. Okay, let's go ahead there. So they in this group of one hundred forty-four thousand. Follow the Lamb wherever He goes. They were purchased from among men. Uh, how were they purchased? What was the purchase price? Yeah, the blood of Christ. Not with silver or gold. Blood of Jesus. They were purchased from among men and offered as first fruits to God and the Lamb. Uh, and first fruits, normally we think of, you know, harvest, the very first field, you know, the best stuff. Also, just mean the best of the harvest. So, in this sense, it's more so they aren't the first Jews to ever get saved. They're uh, they're like the cream of the crop in a sense. 144,000 have been brought through persecution, their lives in jeopardy, all these things out in the wilderness. 
So it's more so a sense of some of the best of the best. Offer this first fruits to God of the Lamb. That's an offering? Yes. Um, that's a good question because that's an offering. So who's offering them as first fruits to God? Good question. to God and to the Lamb. So who's left? <laughs> Holy Spirit. <laughs> Sundays ago, I started preaching in John. I started with following some of the first disciples. Remember what Jesus said to Nathaniel? Jesus saw Nathanael approaching. Jesus said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. It's the exact same kind of thing that's being mentioned about 144,000 here. They, no lie was found in their mouth. They are blameless. Same thing kind of thing Jesus saw in Nathanael. What did he see in Nathanael? He saw a passion for truth and a faithfulness. And uh, Paul says in Thessalonians that the reason people don't get saved is because they don't care about the truth. It's one of the reasons, because they don't care about the truth. If you don't care about the truth, you're never going to end up knowing the way, the truth, and the life Jesus for salvation. We have a big problem in our current culture, right? Huge problem. general, our population is like, my leadership, they can lie if they need to to get things done. I don't want other people to lie about us and our position as a government. Our people, they can lie if they need to to get things accomplished. And then when truth comes out, if we don't like that truth, we 
silence it. We refuse to talk about it. We don't listen to it. We have a huge problem not caring about truth. Who's the author of lies? Yeah. Right? Satan's the author of lies. Mm-hmm. He's a master deceiver. He's functioning in that realm. So if that realm is functioning so pervasively in our culture, who's, who's rocking it right now? saying, you know, in the Quran, it, it gives permission. It says, it's okay for you to lie to infidels if you need to accomplish Muhammad's ends. Right, right. Okay. Are you going to some really... I mean, this is, it's all fun. This, this is some really cool stuff. So, so when people... Stuff at you, you know, about why is God so mean? Why did all these terrible things happen? And we start talking about end times, they'd be like, Well, why would God bring judgment, you know, and so on? You know, because if you'd hate the, the perfect God who would sacrifice his own life to try to save, that's that's a bad deal. It's not a good one, but uh, we're going to see God shining the light in the sun in grace and mercy here in the next few verses. It's chapter 14, verse 6. John writes here, then I saw another angel. Oh, I'm sorry. Let's throw up my, my illustration quick. For those who are doodlers and illustrators. Nope. Nope. <laughs> it has four, four quadrants. Oh, that one. Nope. Keep going forward. <laughs> Should be after that one. You say four quadrants? Yeah, like this. I don't know if you can see from No, I can't see that. How <laughs> <laughs> come? No, he said it he wasn't said it. Was you sure it's not ago, that one? I took a nope. Huh. <laughs> couple years ago I took me like pictures and scans of all thirty of the illustration that I want to get. Nope, don't have that one. We'll have to do that at home. Crap, okay. All right. So the illustration on paper, the upper left-hand corner, you've got Mount Zion, right? Who's Who's on the top of Mount Zion? Jesus, why is there drops of blood falling from his hands? Because he purchased them with his blood. We have here, hopefully, you can. What did, what did he hear? He heard, this is supposed to be harps. Mm. I'm a terrible artist. Mm. I'm not an artist. I'm, a, I'm an unartist. Those are harps. Those are 
musical notes. So they were strumming and singing and playing their hearts. And then the notes are because the 144,000 are singing what kind of special song? It's a new song that only they are allowed to sing. And this all happens on Mount Zion and the 144,000. They use it for contribution. That's the next one. And we'll, I don't know, I'll, I'll see if by next Sunday we can get this scanned into our system. Sorry about that. Okay, so three angels, chapter 14, verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in midair. What does midair mean? Not on the ground. Yeah, it means off the ground, but not so high up into the heavens that we can't see them. It's, it's midair. It's kind of like, you know, you can see planes flying overhead. That's midair. I saw another angel flying in midair. He had the eternal gospel to proclaim. So what's gospel mean again, just to refresh? Good news. And how long does this good news last? Forever. Eternal. Ooh. He had the eternal good news to proclaim to those who live on the earth. Now, who's he going to proclaim it to? Is this angel going to appear in Blue Earth and just announce to the people of Fairbrook County? To every nation, tribe, language, and people. Okay, let's picture this. We have an angel flying in midair. He's going to make this proclamation. Where is he going to announce it? Whole planet. He's going to hear this angel proclaim this. What's he going to proclaim? The eternal gospel. Verse 7. So he said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. And I want to ask you, when does this angel fly through midair and make this proclamation? When in the seven years did it happen? Everybody say, way to go, Gary. Way to go, Gary. He said midpoint. I can teach them. It's like kid talk. They do kid talk, the answer is almost always Jesus. And in, in Revelation, in the end times, when you ask the question, when does it happen? The answer is almost always midpoint. Uh, we will see with all three of the angels coming here, by the time we go through all three of the angels, it will be really clear that this happens at the midpoint. So why, at the midpoint, does the whole planet need an angel to announce that they need to fear God and give him glory? Because the hour of God's judgment is coming why does the angel command them to worship God who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs? Because what happens at the midpoint? midpoint? The Antichrist reveals himself in the temple, he stops the sacrifices, and he, and he says to the whole world, I am God, worship me, take my mark, or die. So in that moment, what does God do? God sends an angel to proclaim to the entire planet Worship me. I'm the one that made this whole universe. Don't worship the clown in Jerusalem who claims to be me. Don't worship a created one. Worship the one who made it all. Okay, now the next two angels are going to make it really clear what's at stake here. But the Antichrist makes his declaration, I'm God, worship me. God sends an angel to say, here's the truth. 
need to fear the God who made the whole thing and not worship this clown. Okay? So verse 8, let's kind of go through this and uh, it'll become more and more clear as we go. Verse 8. A second angel followed. And so where, where is he at? The first one was in midair. Where's this one at? Probably midair as well. He's following in the footsteps of the wing flaps of the first one. Second angel followed and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adultery. Well, we could spend three or four Sundays digging into this. Babylon the great comes up huge in chapter 17 and 18 of Revelation. So we're not going to jump ahead and do a whole bunch of Babylon stuff now. Uh, I don't want to just skate over it here either. But I want you to know that we're going to go way deep dive on Babylon uh, in chapter 17 and 18. So what is, and I'll, I'll be honest, with the Babylon thing is that's a pretty slippery thing. There's some detail given about it, but it's, it's a really wonky my mind a little bit fuzzy thing. Okay? It looks like in Revelation that Babylon is kind of two represents two things. It talks about Babylon being an actual city that God's going to destroy at the end because so much uh, false religions and worldliness and the fleshliness has come out of the city that God is going to destroy the, the city literally itself. It also talks about Babylon in fuzzier terms in a sense of all the false religions have come out of Babylon. So, I mean, people, this is kind of like 666. People have devoted their whole lives to studying and learning and writing about Babylon. And they have different perspectives. So that's why I say it's, it's a slippery thing. You can't just nail it down. But let's, this goes back to, okay, a little bit ago, we were, we were wondering about the 144,000, you know, didn't file themselves clean, kept themselves pure. We're getting back into that a little bit here now. So fallen, fallen is Babylon, the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her what? Her adultery. So are we talking about sexual adultery between husbands and wives stepping out? talking about spiritual adultery. Here, Babylon the Great is not the city where we're almost assuredly uh, referencing all the false religions and stuff. Yeah, we'll go deeper in 17 and 18. But let's, can we put the timeline? Yes, thank you. So the timeline's up here. On your timeline, you've got to open Bottom half. I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying that this timeline in all its entirety is perfect, okay, but it's really, really helpful. In this situation, this red line here represents Babylon. And you'll notice it says on the on the ribbon right here, it mentions the two different aspects of it. It's the great city on seven hills. It's also called Babylon, the great Babylon, the harlot. The harlot has nothing to do with, with physical sexual issues. It has to do with spiritual idolatry. 
worshiping all different kinds of gods and demons and lies and everything else. And the thing is, as the Antichrist assembles his his world um, physical kingdom with ten kings, right? He removes three of them. He takes over their countries and stuff. As he assembles that that beast empire, he's going to be uh, assembling and utilizing a one world religion, basically. I mean, you might still see Lutheran, Methodist, Catholic signs on the church buildings, but they're all going to sell out. You know your World War II history and Hitler, the propaganda machine? What did the vast majority of the Christian churches do? Hitler said, you know, Hitler told them, you're a part of this. This is all about Jesus. He told them this stuff. And the vast majority of the churches and bishops and pastors got behind him, patted him on the back, appointed their parishioners to follow him. church is full of compromise. We aren't standing on scripture. We aren't teaching it. We aren't believing it literally. We're leaving ourselves wide open for deception. Following somebody that really does cool things for us. Brings peace. Da, 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 da. So, right. It's what Hitler did for Germany. So we're going to see it on a worldwide scale. And uh, as we watch church bodies split, it's still happening in America. Most have gone through it, but a couple of haven't, haven't yet. But as they split the, the, the labels, but liberal, in America, liberals are winning out. So when there's church splits, 80% of them are going off into a new liberal denomination. They're all happy together. 10, 15, 20% of the other churches are like, no, we're going to keep on standing on scripture. But you end up with this, this little remnant. you got little remnants all over the place developing in our country. Um, I'm not... I'm not trying to point fingers and say all the liberals are going to be in the one world religion. I'm just saying they're not standing on scripture. They're leaving themselves wide open to suggestion. When you read their stuff about why are you why are you teaching this? Why are you preaching that? Why are you not standing on scripture anymore? They say, oh, well, the Holy Spirit is leading us into new things. That's literally what they say. The Holy Spirit's leading us. No, he's not. The Holy Spirit leads you into his word, which never changes. Okay. That's not the Holy Spirit leading you. You are being deceived, and you're deceiving. So, um, so one world religion, it, but basically, if you squawk about what the Antichrist is sending down the pipeline, what's going to happen to you? It'll disappear pretty quick. But now, at the, at the midpoint, when the Antichrist he goes into the temple in Jerusalem, Stops the sacrifices there, reveals his true identity, says, I'm God now, worship me or die, is does he have any use for the world religion anymore? No. Just like Hitler. Hitler used them as long as they were useful, and then when they weren't, he said, Man, and he crushed them, killed them too. So the same thing. At the midpoint, Satan be like, you know what? I was kidding you all along. I am I'm actually God. Worship me. Dump all your stuff and junk. Worship me or die. I'm the only God you're allowed to worship. So at that point, so that's why here, back in Revelation 14, which we've segued from a little bit, we're on topic. 14.8 says, A second angel 
followed. It said, Fallen. Fallen is Babylon the Great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adultery. Um, all these religious bodies have been encouraging you to follow after the Antichrist and not follow after Jesus Christ. Uh, spiritual adultery. You, what's, what kind of wine is it? Maddening. You've lost reason. You've left good sense. You've abandoned truth. And spiritually speaking, you've gone mad. So this is what the second angel is proclaiming. And does that line up with midpoint? It totally lines up with midpoint. Because at that point, like I said before, Antichrist is going to be done with all that, all the religious stuff. He's like, it's all junk, throw it away. Worship me. I'm doing the miracles now. Right? He is. I'm doing the miracles now. Worship me. I got it. I was dead. Now I'm alive again. What more do you want? I rose from the grave just like Jesus did. Man. So I, the whole thing, the deception is going to be huge. Wrap up here like a minute or two left. Yeah, that third angel is a really big one. And that's the one that makes it um, really clear that we're at the midpoint. So it talks about the mark. That angel is going to warn the world, don't take the mark that the Antichrist just told you to take. Because if you do, you're going to hell. So here's why I say this is a shining example of God's love, grace, and mercy. At this late, late, late moment in human history, when most people are either head over heels in love with Jesus or hate his guts, God is still in grace and mercy saying, let me speak truth to you. This is your moment. Not take his mark, or you will go to hell, and that nothing can change that. So God in his mercy tells, he sends an angel to tell the whole planet, does God, does God want to send people to hell? He does everything in his power and might to save us from that destination. Everything he can. He even dispatches a supernatural, wondrous angel to tell the whole planet in a language they can understand. Don't take the mark. Worship the God who made the whole universe, not this joker in Jerusalem. This is our God. So, good job. Let's, uh, let's pray. Yeah, Father, we're so thankful and humble and grateful, God, that you have helped us to hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus on the cross, his resurrection victory, the working of your Holy Spirit, sent at Pentecost and still working today. God, we're so thankful. It's not because we're so good or so wonderful or kind that you have saved us. It's out of your Father, just increase our desire to share Jesus with lost ones before that trumpet blows and it's too late. Before the angel has to go around and make the declaration you've heard about today, God, please help us to, to pray and to speak and to sing and to share and do all we can to let people know about Jesus. Thank you, God, to glorify your name this morning. You're a good, good God and a wonderful Savior. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.